How good and glorious was creation. How good and glorious it must have been right back then in the beginning. You know, if God looked down upon or looked upon all that he had made and declared, it is very good, then how good it must have been. God, the the great, powerful, all-powerful creator said, it is very good. And again, we struggle to contemplate how glorious it must have been. The, the garden in all of its natural beauty with ferns and flowers and watercourses, fruit trees. Consider the, the perfect atmospheric conditions for that garden. The animal kingdom freely roamed without any fear, teeming with life, Adam and Eve in sinless perfection, gloriously in love with one another, with God in perfect harmony with him. There was perfection. There was beauty, majesty. There was holiness. It was so very, very good. However, the Lord then said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. In the Hebrew, he's literally saying, aloneness is not good. Uh, Being alone is not good. God, God had existed in the form of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity in harmony, never having been apart, nor a crossword spoken between them, ever. And God declared that for Adam, aloneness is not good. Being alone is not good. And God wanted Adam to appreciate or to understand this very point. He wanted Adam to to recognise that although he was enjoying this this wonderful, fulfilling communion with God, he was alone. As he was enjoying this creation that was just so, so good, God wanted him to realise he's alone. And of course, Adam could never be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth without Eve, although he had not given them this command as yet. But it's interesting. Some people look at the story thus far and get to this point and then suggest that singleness is not good. Adam was single at this point. However, he enjoyed his relationship with God and God declared that it was very good. It's very good. But Adam was on his own and and God's intention in creating the human race was to love and be loved. God didn't want to just create Adam. He wanted to create the human race. He wanted to give humanity the opportunity to know his love to know love from one another and to give love to one another. 
Adam couldn't do this on his own. But you and I live in a world that is full of people. There are people all around us. And full of people who are longing to love and be loved. All the while, the presence of God has never diminished. The presence of God has never diminished. I want to suggest that you are never single as a Christian. You are never single as a Christian. You have Jesus as your best friend. And what a friend we have in Jesus. You're never single if you're a Christian. And so although this passage speaks into marriage, it speaks into every relationship. It's the divine ideal that we're thinking about today. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. I wonder how much, how interested God was that, why did you, why did you call that that, Adam? Um, anyway, that's a side thought. At whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all of the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so God brought the animals to Adam and he observed them and he he noticed that they were in pairs and God asked him to name them. And this is the first job that God had given to Adam simply to observe the animal kingdom and give them names. Still today, we human beings find immense satisfaction in observing God's creation. David Attenborough finds immense satisfaction in observing God's creation. And I'm sure that Adam was left gobsmacked As he observes creation, wow, look at that. There are a pair of lions just prowling on by. And then you could almost imagine him just sort of yelling out to God, check this out, as if God didn't know anyway. But check this out. This thing, it has a bill like a duck, a tail like a beaver, feet like an otter. It's a mammal, yet it lays eggs. Um, It lives in the water. I think I'll call it a platypus. Hurly dooly. Adam Adam was enjoying God's creation. Must have been enjoying naming the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Did Adam notice that each animal or bird had a suitable helper? Did he notice that there was no difference in terms of power or authority in the gender of the animal kingdom? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. No one who looked like him, no one who talked like him or could talk to, no other person, no other one with spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, social capacities. Adam, you can imagine at the end of the day, I'm alone. 
I can't talk to a platypus. I don't even understand its language. There's no one else who understands what I'm going through and how I feel. I'm alone. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Just as he had brought the animals to him, he brought the woman to him. Assumedly he's awake now. But it's Matthew Henry who said, Eve was created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to rule over him, not from his feet for him to trample all over, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. And that's a, that's a nice sentiment. I want to suggest that God used existing tissue from Adam rather than forming a woman from the dust of the ground, just as he had with Adam, to show that they were both the same substance. They were made of the same stuff and they were both the bearer of God's image. He must not look down upon her. He must not treat her as second rate. They were to complement one another. They were to be one another's companion, helping each other through life to be loved by each other. Hebrew scholar David Atkinson wrote this. Genesis 1 and 2 make... Remember, he's a Hebrew scholar... Genesis 1 and 2 make the Hebrew, sorry, the equality of men and women, women and men, as the image of God, unmistakably clear. The removal of a piece of the man to create the woman implies that from now on, neither is complete without the other. Nothing could make clearer the complementarity and equality of the sexes. He says that there is now no sense of inferiority or subordination here. No sense of that whatsoever. They are equals. They are made in the image of God. This verse, he said, is not meant to be used as a charter for male domination over women. The word helper implies that Adam needs help. And it also implies that she could supply that help. And vice versa. He doesn't, he's not the only one who needs help, she needs help. They both need help. And both can help the other. A helper is one who assists and encourages. And we all need assistance and encouragement, don't we? A helpmate is one who helps alleviate aloneness. 
And even God, even God is happy to be known as our helper. King David said in, of the Lord in Psalm 118, The Lord is with me, he is my helper. There cannot be any sense of inferiority or subordination if God is our helper. We can't lord it over him. And so there should be no sense of lording it over one another. If Adam is to love himself, then he is to love Eve just as much as he loves himself, for she came from him. She is a part of him. And together they are made in the image of God. They're meant to live and love like God. And that's the divine ideal, to live and love like God. Not only for marriage, but for all relationships. We are meant to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and love one another as we love ourselves. Those are the two commandments that Jesus told us. It's so simple. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as you love yourself. And so God presents Eve to Adam as a, as a father gives his daughter as a bride. Not as a weaker partner, but as equals. Men and women are meant to delight in one another, walk beside one another, honour one another, respect one another, submit to one another, love one another, just as they love themselves. And this comes out in verses 23 to 25. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You notice that Adam names Eve. I can only assume that as Adam named the animals, he did so in their groups. Elephants, tigers, chooks, kangaroos, platypi. (laughs) But here he sees Eve and he recognises that she is the same but oh so different. She will help him and he will help her. This is the first marriage that we see in the Bible. Eve is mentioned as his wife. Adam is her husband. They take delight in one another. They complement one another, become one flesh. And in this sinless environment, are innocent. Without shame completely vulnerable before one another. They're in the beauty of innocence. And sadly today we live in a world which is far from that. A sin-filled world 
filled with shame and guilt and fear. And many people are carrying and wandering around with shame, guilt and in fear. A world that has a strong emphasis on the rights of the individual. Subsequently, we are so self-focused and so self-absorbed, we're selfish, we want what we want and we forget that we were created for fellowship, for community, for companionship. We're meant to be helpers of one another. Again, it was David Atkinson who, who said, the glory and the beauty and the freedom of the garden is not a reality of the world that we now know. We haven't got a clue what it must have been like back in the garden. And so many a marriage today is in trouble because we want what we want and we're tarnished with the brush of individualism. Many a spouse looks at their partner and demands that they meet their needs and desires. Demands. Many a spouse looks down upon their partner and fails to see them as equal and complementary. Many a spouse carries some form of guilt and shame and is afraid to be vulnerable even before their spouse. They're hiding things. And in our sin-filled world, steeped in individualism, self-centeredness, we often don't know how to even be there for one another. This is why we're meant to leave and cleave. And the two become one. We seek to leave behind our attachment to our biological family, but we're to leave behind all of those detrimental aspects of our former relationships that cause shame and guilt and fear, leave all that behind and become totally vulnerable, at least before our spouse. And we are to cleave to them, cleave to the partner. To cleave means to to be faithful in every respect, faithful to our vows, faithful to... Our partner, faithful in treating them with love and respect. And in time, the two become one. The Apostle Peter, he speaks to wives and to husbands in his first letter. And he calls for the wife to submit to her husband. And then he speaks to husbands. As we read this through, I want you to notice that it's all within the context of not getting what you want out of marriage and not just trying to make your marriage the best it can be, but it's all about living in the context of getting to know God and his blessing more and more and revealing God's love to others. And so he says this, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, 
It should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The inner beauty, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, that's of great worth in God's sight. Husbands, in the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way as your wives, with a quiet and gentle spirit, in the same way as your wife submits herself to you, you submit to her in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner that physically often are weaker. But treat them with respect and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Treat them with respect, with a quiet and gentle spirit. Submit to them as you are co-heirs together of the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers. I trust men you're praying. We all need to be praying. But to submit to one another, to be Christ to one another, to reveal God's love to one another. Peter follows this up with words that apply to every one of us, whether we're married or not. Finally, verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded. Submit to one another with a quiet and gentle spirit toward one another. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And so these words apply to all relationships, not just to marriage. As we are infected by the fall, and the glory and the beauty and the freedom of the garden is not the reality that we now know, we struggle to submit. However, that doesn't mean that we should just sweep it all under the carpet and forget about it. Can we learn to and seek to learn to to treat one another with far greater love and respect as equals and with compassion? To treat all people as equals. If we think back to last week, not just thinking about how we treat ourselves in in our church family and our our relationships spiritually. Can we treat all people as equals? The street lady, the abusive alcoholic, the manipulative boss, the disrespectful bullying teen, your neighbour, your relative, your spouse, your kids. And so the point of impact where all of this commences is in our relationship with God. 
The way that we relate to one another has its foundational basis upon our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If our relationship with our Heavenly Father is healthy, where we are vulnerable before him, allowing him to transform us into his image, then our relationship with our husbands and wives, with one another, with our neighbour, can also be healthy. But it all comes back to our relationship with God. That's the divine ideal, not only for marriage but for all of our relationships, that we would treat one another the way God treats us. We're meant to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind and love our neighbour, love one another as we love ourselves. God said, I have made you in my own image. That means we have the capacity to love as God loves. We have that capacity. Jesus gave his all for us. There's nothing more that he could do for our well-being. Can we learn to love the way that God loves us? To treat one another with respect as equals with compassion. I trust that we can each be praying that God will help us to do just that. So let's take a moment in prayer. Father, we're just so grateful that you made us in your image. As we've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks, we thank you that you have given us the capacity to love, just as you love. Father, we're sorry for the ways that we have, I guess, twisted our, our understanding of the word love and our, the definition that we might apply to it so often been misrepresented by the world's definition of the word love. But Father, we, we thank you that you love us and you are teaching us how to love one another and to, te- and, and to love all people. And so we're so grateful for your presence in our lives. And Father, we pray that you would indeed help us to live out your love to all around about us, especially those that we find so difficult to love. So we thank you as we commit ourselves and our church to you now. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.